What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the HoopsHype podcast. On today's episode, we'll discuss one of the hottest teams to begin the regular season in the West and a familiar one from years past, the Golden State Warriors. With that in mind, joining me on the podcast is one of my former colleagues, Anthony Slater, covers the Warriors for The Athletic and does an excellent job at that. So thrilled to have him on the pod with me today to talk all things Golden State Warriors. Anthony, appreciate you coming on the line, brother. How you doing? I'm doing very good. You know, you mentioned familiar team. Uh, it's kind of rare in the league to to have now these days to have a core that's been together so long. And I think that is what makes the, the Warriors interesting to a lot of people is it feels a little old school. I mean, we have three guys who've been together a decade, um, which just doesn't happen much anymore. You know, it's crazy. You talk about them being together a decade. This is my 10th season covering the league now. So, yeah, it it kind of blows my mind that they've been together for uh, that long. And, you know, it's it's funny because they've been together so long, but then people wonder, well, are they kind of past their prime? Are they going to be able to really make a deep run again with the, the rafts that they have? They're off to a great start so far. And, you know, Steph Curry continues to be the head of the snake for this team with that in mind. Um, you know, for all the rule changes that were made, uh, <laughs> we've seen it affect different players and and shooting percentages and whatnot. But at 33, I mean, Steph Curry continues to be a guy that's uh, still at an MVP caliber level. Yeah, so they were in Portland, first preseason game. And it's funny, I actually talked with Steph at shoot around that morning about, hey, you know, these new rule changes, do you like it? Do you think it'll affect you? Uh, and he's like, I don't know yet. I kind of need to feel it. Goes out that night, uh, and it was kind of a viral clip because he was the first guy to, to be a, kind of affected by it. But it was he was out at the wing. He did like a pump fake and then like jumped into a guy, and the ref didn't give him the call. And then for the next 20 minutes at every timeout break, him and Kenny Atkinson were going over and discussing the same play with the referees and why should or shouldn't be a foul um but you know the refs kind of stayed firm like look you just can't do that this year um and you know you talk to guys uh around the league like he's really legitimately adjusted to it um you know he he's had a couple pump fakes and he's about to lean into the guy and he's passed it off um so i think maybe quicker than james harden quicker than trey young he's kind of you know altered his game a little bit and then a lot of the stuff he already does to, to get his points um it, it doesn't require that it's all of his like off-ball tricks and unbelievable conditioning never stops moving a uh, great touch around the rim and like you know he's he's to me that is what still makes him great uh really kind of to this day it's just um you know how how great a shape he keeps himself in in the off season i mean he it's day one of the season and he's running around not really even getting tired yeah i'm sure he's uh i'm sure a rule change he'd prefer is the four point shot because this guy's always shooting from the logo and you know 35 plus feet at times when he can um you know, Anthony, I mean, I, I was thinking of this the other day, but it's kind of crazy how you remember when he had all the ankle injuries earlier in his career and then he signed that four year, forty four million dollar contract extension. And and again, this is years ago. This is before he became like the MVP stuff. But some people were kind of wondering, like, what was going to become of him because he was always getting hurt. And, and you look at him now and to go from that to being an unquestioned max player and, and, and this level, like, I mean, did. I guess, like, did Golden State ever doubt, like, what he would be? I mean, I don't think anybody necessarily knew he would be this amazing. I mean, I always enjoyed him coming out of Davidson. But, um, but you know, those years when he was dealing with ankle injuries, were, were there was there ever a time where maybe Golden State wasn't sure what he would be or, 
you know, if even maybe he could have been moved at one point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely like trades in the past that he was at least discussed within. But also, I mean, you mentioned the four for 44, which is the contract that really set up the dynasty because, uh, you know, kept their cap sheet so low they could sign Kevin Durant into cap space, which people forget. Um, you know, the cap spike helped with that. But, you know, at the time they had him four for 44, Draymond on a small deal. Clay was still kind of, you know, not too much. Um, but, you know, with Steph not only did the organization kind of doubt it because of the ankles he did, why would he sign for, for 44? You know what I mean? Um, so he, you know, he had ankle surgeries and all that. And then there was about uh, one or two off season period where he really focused on like how to basically stabilize his ankles. It had to do with hips and all these different biomechanics. He works with this guy, Brandon Payne, who's become just kind of his off season guru to get him right. And I mean, the funny, even when you look at this unanimous MVP step season in 2016, if you go back and watch the highlights you'd be like man he looks kind of skinny he looks you know not as as built as he is he, like every single year he, he's gotten bigger and stronger and honestly you know he says it and his dad even says it about himself Dell does that they're kind of like late bloomers from a body perspective and his belief Steph's is is that his age like 30 through 34 is his prime and he's just in the middle of his current prime right now and I mean He's making a good argument for it on the court. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting how his progression went. And where you're right, it's like nobody, even the most optimistic Steph Curry Davidson fans were like, you know, he could be a fun, you know, J.J. Redick type player in the league, something like that. No, nah, I mean, he's become, I mean, what, top 15 player ever? I mean, I think he's climbing that list, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I know on uh, he's certainly up there on our, our hoop type top 75. I know you guys. Uh, at the athletic released your own uh, top 75 and you're doing some feature stories on those guys that'll be interesting to see but yeah I definitely think he's uh at worst top 20 but yeah definitely in the top you know 15 conversation for sure and you touched on Kevin Durant for us I think we had him just on the edge of top 10 he might have been 12 um, so it's been cool to see him come back from post Achilles injury uh, as well um, you know with Steph you, you mentioned about uh, Del Curry, his dad, and the former Hornets uh, sharpshooter. Um, you know, there was a time where, like, I think some people wondered too if uh, Steph, briefly, maybe not in, in a loud way, but would he be a Golden State Warrior for life? And then, like, you know, he, he does his extensions and everything. But um, from your perspective, I mean, being around him every day, uh, do you think ultimately? He ends up being a warrior for life down the line with the with this core that they have. Or could there ever be a scenario where maybe later in his career, um, you know, he looks at another team uh, down the line? I don't think he wants to. You know, he's mentioned Tim Duncan. He's mentioned Derek Jeter, Dirk Nowitzki, like those situations, those uh careers really appeal to him and and the the idea of a one franchise superstar which you know he he continues to hear is like you know those days are gone he doesn't think so um and i i think the most uh, sensitive potential situation would have been right now if he, if he decided not to sign that extension this past summer. You know they're they're really in a transition phase as a franchise. Ownership is clearly prioritizing you know the long term along with the win now. Joe Lacob would argue, hey, look, I'm paying the the highest taxable ever. I'm trying to win this season, but they also have you know three lottery picks in the last two years and and they've gone teenager with all three and like kind of projecty with two of them with Wiseman and Kaminga uh, and, and 
Joe Lacob's made it clear he's not interested in trading those guys. He's interested in those guys like bridging into the next decade. And that's, you know, a little bit counterintuitive to what Steph Curry wants. Steph Curry wants to maximize the next few years. So I think there could have been and, you know, really behind the scenes has been a little friction about that, you know, juggling of timelines. But the reality is Steph Curry said, you know, regardless of all that, I want to be in Golden State and I'm going to sign a full five year max extension. Now, Warriors put the money on the table. That matters, too. Uh, But now that he's locked into that one, which is going to take him like into his like mid to late thirties, I think he's pretty, pretty dead set on, on, on finishing out as a warrior. I mean, his family loves the Bay. He is the warriors. I mean, he will be the number one franchise icon. And I just think it, it, it means a lot to him to, to kind of hang it up with the same place he started. You know, the glow up for Steph Curry has been real. You know, you think about the times when he and Monte Ellis were in the backcourt together and they were wondering which of those two guys was the one that they uh, were going to keep. Boy, uh, t- you know, time flies in that regard. And then you touched on, you know, the other the other core guys that have, have been there. You know, Draymond Green, guy that was a second round pick that really um, developed into quite the Swiss Army knife. I, I, I didn't think I thought he'd be a good defender and a good role player in the league. But to be the type of defensive player he's become uh, has been kudos to him for his development. And, you know, Clay's obviously become one of the best uh, shooters the league has seen and, and a really good scorer at that. So uh, both those guys are 31, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. Now, uh, I'll start with Draymond with you, Anthony. Um, from from him this season, what have you seen? Because it seems like in, in some years past, um, his, his scoring was down a little bit, but uh, defensively he, he maintained that. But He's had a little bit of an uptick in that uh, this year with Clay still out. What are you seeing from from Draymond now? And you know he was also a guy that sometimes would have his name kind of brought up and whatnot, and and trade talks like sporadically here and there. Well, the Blazers would love to have the you know Lillard's been obsessed with getting him there for a while, but. Um, you know, I, it's funny, I actually just sat down with Draymond recently in Oklahoma City to talk about this exact su- subject, you know, in regards to his offensive uptick this season. Um, and he would you know, say last preseason he got COVID. He got COVID right before camp, missed camp. Um, so he's, you know, and he, you know how important those like first eight practices are to get your body in shape, to get in tune with your new team, you know, new teammates. And he just wasn't around for that and, and came back and his conditioning wasn't all the way there because he was sick and then early in camp he gets like a or early in his first few practices right before the season um he gets like a toe midfoot sprain type thing which only held him out of like four games but he says early in the season you know conditioning's not there rhythm's not there and the toe's still hurting him and he's at i mean you look at his first few months last year it's some of the worst offense like in his career for sure it's like four points per game on like 35 percent shooting and it was it not only was it hey look you're missing when you're shooting he stopped he was like scared at times he was reluctant catching the ball top of the key the defense is backing off and he's kind of jittery and like you know trying to pass it over here or he's getting into traffic and the layups there, but he doesn't even want to attempt it. So he's trying some like, you know, thread the needle and he's just a bunch of turnovers. And like, it really affected the Warriors offense. They were 20th in the league last year offensively, uh, despite having Steph Curry, who had like maybe the greatest offensive season ever. Um, and some of that was great at Draymond, but 
late in the season, you know, they go 15 and five down the stretch. They went small without Wiseman, which, which fits Draymond. Um, and he, you know, the foot had healed. His conditioning was a little bit back. The stakes were back. Draymond Green kind of needs high stakes basketball to care. He always kind of stinks when his team stinks because he just stops caring. Um, and once that was back, I mean, you look down the stretch, he averaged like 10 points per game. And that doesn't sound like explosive, but that's all you really need from Draymond Green. Give you 10 a game, uh, make the layup when it's there, take the three occasionally, be confident in it. And then you do all that. He's going to be a top 10 assist guy in the league because he's basically a point guard out there. It's the point forward. And he had, you know, went into the summer and stayed in shape because he was in the Olympics. You talk to him or Steve Kerr, who uh, was the coach, like they thought that was so good for him because, you know, usually he's spending the summer getting out of shape. This summer he was in shape. So he enters camp uh, in good shape and, and it's shown early this season. He is his same self defensively. I think, you know, to this very early point, he's probably been the best defensive player in the league because they have worse defensive personnel, but they're still six, sixth in the league in defense right now. And then offensively, he's had a couple 14 point games. He's just, um, you know, aggressive when he needs to be. And when that happens, he gets a couple free dunks, free layups per game because defenses know he's looking to pass and they're so scared of Steph Curry that the lane is there. Absolutely. I think you had written about that, about him kind of taking the lane when it is there. Um, you know, Draymond, I think ultimately, uh, you know, you touched on like Portland as a team that would want him. And, uh, you know, the other, it's interesting, like once, uh, started going on the shop more with LeBron. I think some people always wondered out. Oh, the Lakers going to try to trade for him too. Um, you know, I, I it, it would kind of just feel weird if Steph, Draymond, and and Clay weren't on the same team together. It's, it's a, to me, it would almost feel like sacrilege. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, do you get that same sense with the three of those guys that they're just destined to to all be together as warriors for their career? Um, not necessarily. I mean, again, we just had the question about Steph and I do think he will be, um, clay, you know, he's locked in Well, I, I you got to see how clay looks coming off, uh, you know, the Achilles in the ACL, but with Draymond, you know, he's got two years left. Um, and, and he, you know, like you said, the, the, the you know, has had somewhat of flirtations with the Lakers and even the Blazers a bit. And, you know, his, his game is not aging quite like Steph Curry's is. It does feel like, um, if, I would say if if the Warriors lowball him, you know, coming off this next contract or whatever happens over the next couple of years, uh, I he I could see his situation morphing into more of a of a breakup, and that's not necessarily because he wants like to not play with Steph Curry. I think in their ideal world, Draymond, Steph, and Clay are you know they're chasing titles until they're all retiring together. But I just could see Draymond's situation playing out a little bit more messy than Steph's would. And the fact that Draymond is not locked into a long-term deal at this point, like Steph is, um, you know, and if another team out there is willing to give Draymond a contract that maybe the Warriors aren't in a couple of years, uh, I could see that, you know, going differently, even if, like I said, their, their dream scenario might be to play forever. You touched on clay coming back from, uh, his injury and seeing how he looks. Um, what is the latest on, his potential return and, and how does he look as of now? He looks pretty good. You know, he, they, 
I I think it's a good sign that that they actually have him out there when the media's out there when we're out there working out because if he wasn't feeling good I think they'd mostly kind of try to hide him which they could right they could just have him work out at different times because he's only really doing individual stuff right now uh, but he's usually out there you know post practice when we're sitting there watching him from ten feet away and he offensively I mean the shot is just I mean it's pure you can see it's back pretty much he's gonna come back and immediately be a great three point shooter uh, I I think some of his movement stuff I've been encouraged watching him you know coming off curl down screens and, and, and some of the in the individual work uh, I've heard he's done some two on two like you know very controlled contact type stuff and I would expect him to get back into full practices at some point in the next few weeks a month or so I think the floating target is still around mid-December range it'll be November 25th will be the full 12 month uh you know year uh from the achilles surgery he's already said he would not come back before a year so i think you're talking mid-december at the earliest because they're being so careful with it and they're five and one early it kind of gives them a chance to be patient if they keep playing well uh and then you know if he's not feeling fully there yet by mid-december i don't think they mind pushing it into the january range but i think overall you know coming from the organization is a, a level of encouragement of how he looks right now and in his place, Jordan Poole has stepped in and, and been a starter for this team. Um, for me, I actually projected him as a potential six-man-of-the-year candidate because I figured when Clay came back that Jordan would come off the bench, um, even if they kind of limited Clay to come back. Um, from from your standpoint, do you think that that is kind of the eventual plan? Like, does, when Clay Thompson comes back, is Clay Thompson going right back into the starting lineup, in your opinion? And, and Jordan Poole, like, what is his uh, outlook this year? Because for me, like I said, I thought he could be a six-man candidate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there a chance that maybe Clay Thompson comes off the bench the first couple games? Sure, just because you know it's going to be 18 minutes to start, then 22 minutes, and hey, it's a back-to-back. He's not playing one of the two sides. They're going to ease him back in. But in general, Clay Thompson is the starting shooting guard for this team. I mean, it's going to be uh, Steph, Clay, Wiggins is the one, two, three. Um, so Poole will be a six-man. To me, Poole's game kind of profiles as as a six-man, right? Kind of a microwave score off the bench, bring him in, um, you know, have him play a lot of the non-Steph minutes, which he's already doing right now. They're staggering him and Steph, even though he's starting, um, you know, let him take a bunch of shots with Steph's off the floor. He moves pretty well and kind of can fit into the style when Steph is on the floor. It's like kind of an off-ball scattering uh, shooter and, and line driver. Uh, he was unbelievable in the preseason. He's been slow to start the season. He's had a couple good games, including opening night. I thought he was great in Staples Center and really got them that win in the fourth quarter. Um, but he's also, you know, I don't know, I think it's three, he's something like, you know, eight of a 36 from three or something right now. He's just kind of, I think, in a little bit of a shooting slump. But your general thought is correct. He is the type of player who would win a six man, which is like, you know, bulk scorer who's going to have a ton of opportunity. So uh, if he can slide into that role, be comfortable and have, you know, a hot month or two, he'll be in that conversation. I think for me, he was a guy that I looked at as a six man of the year candidate. Him and uh, Patty Mills on the Brooklyn Nets, I thought would be two guys that made sense. But, you know, Anthony, you touched on Andrew Wiggins too, a little bit as a guy that, you know, was part of that one, two, three combo with Steph Curry and Clay um, eventually when Clay comes back healthy. So, you know, you touched on it a little bit earlier in the pod that, um, you know, ownership was looking at a guy like Wiseman and, and keeping him and they got some younger guys. But, you know how it goes around the league. Like guys get mentioned in trade talks all the time as possibilities. Wiggins' salary is certainly a guy 
that makes him movable if they're going to try to bring in a, a star guy. So with that in mind, um, obviously, like there's always been a bunch of chatter about uh, Ben Simmons. I feel like it's coming more from other teams thinking that Ben Simmons would be a good fit on the Warriors. I mean, at least when I talk to other executives, they they seem to be convinced despite what, you know, management and what inside Golden State will say that that Ben Simmons could be a fit for them. I wanted to ask you, do you think it'll be a two parter, but with let's start with Ben Simmons. Do you think that, you know, Golden State's kind of stance that they're not really trying to go after him like that? Do you think that that's true? Or that it's a little bit of a smoke and mirror tactic because people around the league seem to believe that they're absolutely a team that could try to land him at some point. They think he would be a good fit there. Yeah, I think that um, there are people within the building that would be intrigued by the idea. Uh, You know, there's definitely a contingent that's like, well, you know, how's that fit with Draymond? Because Ben Simmons could fit into the Warriors kind of read react style, uh, but he would make most sense in the Draymond role, right? As the pick and roll guy with Steph as the short roller, you know, him and Draymond, they overlap a bit, but regardless, um, the, what matters most, and you're talking about kind of the spoken mirrors is, you know, the guy up top, Joe Lacob has, he's literally been fined for giving his opinion about not believing Ben Simmons fits with the Warriors. Um, so I, and, and you talk to him behind the scenes, you know, on or off the record, he's pretty transparent and like, he's not giving up the young guys, particularly for, uh, you know, a, a flawed type star like Ben Simmons, it would have to be the home run thing to, to get him to move off Kaminga or Wiseman. And if Philly, which, by the way, I mean, like the package, I don't even I'm not sure fits on Philly's side either because they wouldn't really be looking for young prospects. But if you are trading with the Warriors, if you're trading a big name with the Warriors right now, you're pretty much saying, you know, give me one, one or both of the young lottery picks. And, you know, Joe Lacob, who has this this dream that goes far beyond this season, it's it's about the next decade in Chase Center and this idea of like, you know, continued relevancy. Um, he values Kaminga and Wiseman in their future more than I think other teams do right now and and that to me is where uh there's kind of a uh, a line of demarcation and why i do not see a fit with 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 the warriors and wiseman um because i just i I don't think the warriors would be willing to give up near what philly would want uh now if the if if suddenly daryl morey was like hey you know wiggins and a first future first for simmons we'll just take that yeah then i think the warriors listen because it's just two years of an andrew wiggins contract that's already kind of an overpay um but and Philly's not going to do that. So I think both sides are like, look, it's just it's not a fit. You know, you mentioned how much they value um, Wiseman and Kaminga. I mean, how close was it on on draft day when they could have took LaMelo Ball and they ended up going Wiseman? Like from your read on the room, um, how much of a whether it was a split or like where, where was Golden State's management in terms of making that decision? Because. Obviously, there was a lot of talk about them really considering LaMelo, and certainly he's gone on to do great things in Charlotte. Yeah, that was a wild day because not only was it, you know, sitting there at two with at that point, you didn't know if it was going to be Edwards, Wiseman, LaMelo, but also, um, you know, there was different offers coming in like, you know, Chicago thinking about trying to flip up from four 
to two with Wendell Carter. And then you got to remember that is the day Clay Thompson tore his Achilles. He tore his Achilles that morning. Uh, and that bomb dropped on them about 90 minutes before the draft where they got it confirmed. Like Clay Thompson is out for the season. And at that point they're like, you know, how does that change draft plans? Suddenly they need a guard. Suddenly LaMelo ball might make more sense uh, next to Steph Curry since Clay Thompson won't be next to Steph Curry this season or, and really for a season and a half at least. Um, but, uh, general consensus at the top of that um, draft room was Wiseman to the point that Minnesota was kind of like trying to threaten that they were going to draft Wiseman um, so that the Warriors would maybe try to flip two for one and give Minnesota its pick back, which actually became Kaminga. The Warriors didn't do that. They let it play out. Minnesota takes Edwards. But, you know, the Warriors thought at the time is they needed center badly. They needed athleticism. They needed, uh, you know, just some kind of juice in that front court. And and Wiseman fit as kind of this future, like just pick and roll lob threat with a lot of different, you know, guard skills at times. And he had, he, even in his rookie season, which was bad, he flashed a ton of potential, you know, upside with a lot of that. Um, And, you know, there was a lot of people that liked LaMelo, but I don't think anyone, and I would include myself and I would include most, most draft pundits didn't see this coming from LaMelo this quick. Like, even the argument against Wiseman, which is, look, he's going to be 19. He's not going to help you win a title right away. So whoever you pick up top is not going to help. That was the thought was LaMelo. Nobody thought LaMelo would come in and help a title team at 19 and 20 or Edwards. Um, but LaMelo clearly at this point, in retrospect, I think most would agree, would clearly have been the right pick for the Warriors. Um, not only because he's he's much better at this point than, than James Wiseman has shown to be. And that can change, but also LaMelo fits the warrior style. You talk about read and react, small ball passing, all that, um, man, he would look really good with the warriors and, and Wiseman at this point, not only is, uh, still much more of a developmental project, but they're going to kind of have to change their style a bit with Wiseman. It will be more pick and roll heavy. It will be less read and react stuff. Cause that's just not really Wiseman's game. So, um, you know, I'd say at this point we can categorize it as a mistake, but I think a little bit like DeAndre Ayton did the last year with making the Suns' decision not to take Doncic, not look as bad with as good as Ayton looked by year three. I think the Warriors' hope is, you know, Wiseman over the next 24 months has an Ayton-type developmental curve where, you know, two years from now it doesn't seem like Bagley Doncic. It seems a lot more like Ayton over Doncic. I agree with that assessment. You know, I I think you hit that on the head. I really do. And I, I appreciate the honesty on that. Um, when you look at the dynamic between those two guys, you touched on Wiseman and, and you touched a little bit earlier on Kaminga, but for Jonathan Kaminga in particular, like his, what do you think his role could be this season with this team looking ahead and within that front office? Like what are the future expectations for this kid? Because I remember going into the draft and talking with executives um, there were some people that thought Kaminga could go as high as four. Um, and some people there, again, there were some around the league that felt years down the line, that could be the guy that turned out to be the best player in the draft. Now it's going to be tough for him to do that in this situation. Cause he's not going to get a ton of playing time, especially early compared to his other rookie counterparts. Like you look at Scotty Barnes, for example, um, to me, that was the question for him. So within Golden State's front office, what could be his role this season and his future expectations uh, that they have for him? Well, I will already rule him out of the rookie of the year debate. He will certainly not get enough minutes, as you mentioned, compared to the the, the guys around the league. Uh, but 
you know, they, they drafted him knowing about the upside. And I think, you know, summer league, his stock within the parts of the organization that's either not part of the draft room, I'm talking players, coaches, or just, you know, people that were maybe a bit lower on the pick. They all wrote, you know, you talk to people that were a little bit skeptical before summer league by the end of summer league, they're like, look, we might have something here. I mean, he was just the drives to the rim, the strength. I've talked to Draymond Green about it. He's like, look, this guy's got vision that I didn't know he had. Um, You know, he's making some passes. Now he's very turnover prone. The shot is, you know, he's very willing three point shooter, which I think is a good thing and wants to to get it to a good level. But he, to me at this point, the way it looks profiles is like a 31% type three point shooter. So that needs to to grow for him to reach his potential. Um, And he's just, you know, it's a little bit like Wiseman. He needs a lot of rep. Um, and and he he's a higher usage type player, whereas Moses Moody, their other rookie, kind of just fits into a role already. Um, so some of that's going to come in the G League this year in Santa Cruz. And uh, much like Wiseman also, Kaminga got hurt on his second preseason game. He landed awkwardly, strained his patella, missed the rest of camp, missed all the preseason, missed the first five games of the regular season, just was activated the last game, but he's not stepping into a rotation role. Uh, he was able to play and debut for six minutes because they blew the thunder out. But, you know, they put him on the court for the last six minutes you can tell the conditioning's not there he's he's huffing and puffing after going down the court a few times so he's getting a few practices this week i do expect you know potentially an extended stay in santa cruz coming up but at least some games where he can get 30 minutes get his rhythm back um but as far as role this season i do think there are going to be moments and points where they can use him and they'll want to use him and and maybe that's when there's some front court injuries um or they just want to you know throw him in the water for a few games when, when they feel comfortable but i think it's like a four they've talked about him more as a four than a three um particularly in a small ball universe which is the warriors most of the time if wiseman or looney's not out there uh, and i could see him being like a short roll man and you know where, where steph's just hitting him and it's one dribble to the rim because he has nba strength already i mean i remember in summer league it's like he was going against scotty barnes and it was like two post uh, dribbles right through his chest, uh, right to the rim. Uh, Franz Wagner tried to challenge him at the rim a couple times, just, you know, chest to chest, knocks him away, makes the layup. Like he can do a lot of stuff that looks like Pascal Siakam, like essentially like those type of bigger fours in the league. And and I think he could do that early, but the Warriors are in such a win now mode that they're not going to just let him go out there and like, Hey, you know, use up 25 possessions, turn it over four times, take six threes. Like doesn't matter. Steph Curry doesn't doesn't care if we lose tonight like that's just not the world he's living in so it is a little tougher for him yeah and you know you touched on Moses Moody too I I really thought it was going to come down to him and Chris Duarte going into the draft as a guy that uh was going to end up being the pick for them obviously they went Moody um on a different end of the spectrum uh we touched on the younger guys but like Andre Iguodala when they got him I thought that was an interesting pickup and it was nice to see him go back um I wanted to ask you from your perspective if you think that this could be the last year uh, we see Andre Iguodala in the league or if he's, you know, where he is on that uh, retirement spectrum. I think it'll be um, here. You know, the only place it would continue next season will be with the Warriors. And the only way it will continue with the Warriors is if this season ends well for him. But it's it started well. Um, he's looked spry. He's looked fresh. He's, um, he's been in their closing lineup, like four out of the six games and, uh, you, you know, earned that closing role because the, especially like opening night against LA and against the Clippers where it is that those kind of like wily veteran team against wily veteran team. Like he's just, he, 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 he fits so well into what the Warriors want to do against those veteran teams and, and the way they want to, you know, have the first little defense late and, you know, Steve Kerr's 
said when they lost him a couple of years, they lost part of the soul of the team. And, you know, it's back and it just feels more warriorsy when you're around. And Iguodala's just like ripping the young players and, you know, in, in, in a friendly way. But he, you could tell he's just such a uh, locker room presence there that sometimes that stuff gets kind of overvalued when, when we talk about veterans. But with Iguodala in the Warriors locker room, like, eh, I think he just keeps guys, I think he keeps Draymond saying Steve Kerr loves him. Like, it just feels more like, uh, you know, the, this nostalgia. Uh, that we're talking about with this Warriors team. He just adds such an element to it. Um, the three looks a little bit better early, but we all know like, you know, aging guys by the middle of the season, if the legs are, are worn down, they start playing a lot worse. So I, they're going to selectively give him a lot of rest. They already just rested him one game recently this season. I think, you know, one out of every four games, you might he, they might just deactivate him because the truth is they need Andre Iguodala for the stretch run in the playoffs. And if he if he's pretty fresh and has a good stretch run and looks pretty good in the playoffs, I and the Warriors have like a, a you know they go to the second round, West Finals, whatever, and he feels good at the end of the season, I could see him coming back. But if he just doesn't, you know, I I, I think he's also fine with retirement if retirement comes to him. So I, I think that's kind of the two choices, and we'll see how his season ends. Always enjoyed Iguodala's game. If uh, you know this is his last year or second to last year, I mean he's thirty seven. Uh, not a spring chicken by today's NBA standards, certainly. But Anthony, I want to second leave. oldest player in the league now. Second oldest player. You know who the the oldest player is? Mm-hmm. Just learned this the other day. Oh, you're asking me? Are you? Uh, who? Yeah, 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 yeah. Who? Uh, who is? Udonis Haslam still. still uh, I mean, you know, yeah. I know, right? Like, is no, that it even, He's kind of an assistant coach, but yeah, very much a player coach and you know, motivational speaker on the sideline there. But uh, you see him in a lot of the heat huddles. But that that is a good point. Wow, I didn't think of that for a sec. Um, but Anthony, I want to leave you uh, with this. Uh, another older guy, um, though he's not a player; he's a coach. My guy Kenny Atkinson, though, used to have here with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, you know, Kenny. Uh, he, he obviously got hurt. I think you had mentioned it. Um, I'd already got hurt playing playing ball. Um, now he played ball last year with the Clippers. Uh, you know, practices with them. I mean, <laughs> is there any update with uh, Kenny and how he's doing physically and um, kind of what happened there behind the scenes? Yeah, well, K- Kenny's just you mentioned his activity level. Like it's part of why they hired him. You know, he's he's a different kind of. He's a different kind of uh, operator than Steve Kerr. He's, um, you know, not only, you know, analytics and embrace and all that, but he's just, at, you know, he's out there like guarding. I've seen him guarding Clay Thompson in the mid post during Clay Thompson's individual workouts. I saw him pregame. I think it was like game two of the season. He's he's out there pregame chasing Steph Curry around screens. And I mean, he's, you know, he's in his 50s, um, but he, he's just so active. Um, and, you know, during one of these workouts, he injured his leg, uh, you know, and to, to a pretty serious degree where uh, the expectation is it, it has to be immo- immobilized for maybe a month or so. Uh, so he can't be on the front of the bench for, for the next month and obviously can't be out there doing all his workouts and just injecting that energy and life into the Warriors building, uh, including, you know, he, he works privately a lot of times with Kaminga. They've kind of tasked him with Jonathan Kaminga's development. And, you know, he's going to still be around. He's going to be given all of his opinions, which are very valued in the building. Um, and I'm sure still kind of going through the developmental process with Kaminga. But he can't be out there, you know, breathing life into it with all of his, uh, what we talked about, which I'm sure you experienced in Brooklyn plenty. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's kind of a tough break for them. But it's 
it's not like he's out for the season and he's leaving the franchise entirely. Like he's still going to be around. His personality is still going to be, you know, imprinted in the coaching room. And I, you'll probably see him on the back of the bench at some point relatively soon. And then I would say front of the bench probably again by like midseason. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it is out there on the West Coast, but Kenny was always a guy that um, ended up being – this guy was up at like, I feel like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast time. Lord knows what it is um, prepping with you guys out there on the West Coast. My, but. my favorite thing he does is uh, he'll he'll do a workout. He's doing a workout. He's going through it. He's super active in it. And then the player will be done. Be like, all right, you know, thanks. You know, shake hands, go over to sit down and like, you know, rest after the workout. And Kenny's like, oh, don't got anything to do. Let me do some defensive slides real quick. Let me run some, you know, suicides. And he's like, man, this guy never stops. Uh, yeah, that, he is. Kenny Atkinson, if I could describe him, is kind of like a can of Red Bull mixed with a little bit of Four Loco, um, but in a good way. Like he's always energized and, and whatnot. He used to walk to he used to walk like a good 25 minutes sometimes to Barclay Center from his house to <laughs> to get ready for a game. He's definitely in shape, still runs his bike. I hope he he comes back well. And, you know, if they have a good year this year, it'll be interesting to see if uh his name pops up again for some uh, coaching jobs down the line. But, um, Anthony, I certainly appreciate your time. It was great to catch up with your brother. And, uh, as always, do a good job providing insight and some analysis on the Warriors. So thanks so much for joining me here on the Hoopside Podcast, brother. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. You got it. I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside Podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members like Anthony Slater, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter, at Mike A. Scotto, and make sure you're following Anthony, too, at Anthony V. Slater. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.